accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to our coverage of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We are starting the third season now. Time flies, but we're all the way to season three. Cisco doesn't quite have a beard yet or a shaved head, but we're getting there. Just a couple more episodes or, uh, you know, depending on how you consider that, a couple more episodes to go. We're talking about The Search Part 1 and Part 2 in this video uh, or podcast. It was the first and second episode of the third season. Aired on The first part aired September 26, 1994. Teleplay goes to Ronald D. Moore. Story goes to Iris Stephen Bear, Robert Hewitt Wolf, and directed by Kim Friedman. In this episode, Cisco takes an untested Starfleet warship into the Gamma Quadrant in an attempt to find the founders of the Dominion. The second part aired October 3rd, 1994. It was a teleplay that goes to Iris Stephen Bear. Story goes to Iris Stephen Bear, Robert Hewitt Wolf, directed by Jonathan Frakes, old Riker himself. In that episode, on his homeworld, Odo learns about his people while back on the station, Cisco discovers that the price the Federation is willing to pay for peace with the Dominion may be too high. Season three is starting. And uh, as some of the patrons had mentioned, this is actually when the show that they considered it to be Deep Space Nine starts. But we're joined by Clay. Clay, I will let you kiss my golden Nagus rod. Um, you, how, <laughs> how are you doing? I'm good. You know, some shows I've noticed when I start them, I have, uh, there's a point where um, when I start them, I might not be entirely on board, but I'm still, it's still in a feeling out phase. And then something just clicks. And it happened with me with The Wire. Uh, I Maybe about halfway through the first season, I found myself watching the next episode on my phone in bed, like so wrapped at these two people talking about something while sitting on a couch in the middle of the outside. And I, you know, it, it was just people having a conversation and I was all in. Talking about chess and checkers, right? Yes. Yeah. And it has finally happened for me with Deep Space Nine. Thanks to some sweet changeling on changeling action. <laughs> They're very passionate people, despite uh, <laughs> despite their their sort of bland exterior. They're deeply, deeply passionate with each I, other. You know, while I, while that was a joke, the 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 joke part was a joke. Honestly, I think I'm at that point with with Deep Space Nine because when we when I started this episode, I was all in. Like I was, I was. They were talking about diplomacy, and I did not even care. I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Trade agreements. Yes, let's do this. That's that's right. Yeah, you you've you've it somehow switched 180 degrees on you before where diplomacy I, was a problem, but now you're like, yes, more of this. Not stuff. to not to tip my hand too much on this, but like I this these two episodes back to back were a a bit of a roller coaster of emotions for me, which I'm sure we can get into. Yeah, because uh, I was I was in it. And then I was way out of it, and then I was in it again. So we can get into that. <laughs> I'm going to play an audio clip. Me and Clay are going to come back, and we're going to break down the two-parter called The Search. Where am I? You're in a shuttlecraft. You were wounded. Try not to move around. Oh, no. What happened? We were under attack. The ship was boarded. You were wounded in the attack. I managed to get us to the shuttlecraft. But I don't know much more than that. The last time I saw the Defiant, she was dead in space, and 
surrounded by Jem'Hadar ships. Sisko, Bashir. I don't know. So Clay, I don't know. Um, discussing these two-parters as one episode is always kind of a little bit difficult because where we talked about in the Jem'Hadar, uh, DS9 no longer does the cliffhanger over the season finale break. They they choose to pretty much from this point on they're going to do a two-parter to start off every season. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, this these episodes do feel like a two-parter to me. They they're distinctly separate episodes from each other, yeah. even though they continue one storyline across both of them. Um, I think the change in direction is really very obvious. I think that um, I like Frakes as a director, but I don't know. Uh, and that's another thing to start off. So this is the first season where all the TNG names, uh, familiar names, are going to start appearing again. Frakes will be directing. Uh, Ron Moore wrote the first part. Renee Echevarria uh, moves over from TNG to this show, um, which maybe has something to do with the storytelling quality and everything. But I think that I don't know if you want to do this. Do you, do you think it's wise to start this off as going through the two parts, like search one and then going into search two? Or do you just want to do kind of a, an overarching theme? Well, <clears throat> my feeling about the episodes was very much uh, uh, dictated by the fact that it was a two-parter, um, in that the first half... So first of all, the last episode we talked about, you know, I, I mentioned that even though it's not explicitly a cliffhanger, it very much feels like it's a first part. And they kind of follow through on that by having a last time on Star Trek... Uh, voiceover and recap, and then uh, uh, Major Barrett's voice that's her, right? Major Barrett, yeah, yep. doing the recap. Uh, she says, and now for the continuation, where they usually do that on on uh, on um, two parters. So it d- it did make it feel like an unofficial first part of the of the story. You could consider the episodes to be a trilogy if you wanted to, yes, because they yeah. are the and particularly because the first part of the search feels like the middling part of a trilogy. Where right, people are yes. re- recollecting themselves in a sense, and then sort of setting off to find the finale. Yeah, but the uh, yeah the first half I was all in. You know, I was I was coming off that last one. I was really excited about what they were doing. They got the generations badges now, which is fun. Yeah, <laughs> uh, everybody's costumes are, and hairstyles are slightly different. It's got a little <laughs> bit of a different uh, look to it, filming yep. wise. It looks a little bit more modern. Takes place three um, months after the Jem'Hadar, I think. Yeah. So a little bit of time uh, has passed in canon, but they, they all have different hairstyles, which is the hallmark of a new season. Yeah, and they bring in this, the the Defiant, which is, uh, they kind of talk about for the episode, but then at the end they just, like, start tearing ass through <laughs> Jem'Hadar ships. <laughs> yeah. And they bring they build up to this big climax where Odo and Kira are off on their own, and then, you know, it looks like the Jem'Hadar do not fuck around. They, they have... Uh, um, followed through with that again. They do not fuck around. Like they destroy the Defiant, basically, and then put enough people on there that there's no way that these guys are going to escape. Yeah. And so by the end of that episode, I'm I'm like, oh, this is great. I can't wait to see where they're going. And then the second half starts. And I'm, I'm very I'm very interested in your opinion of the second half of the episode because. I, I get, let's just get that out of the way. We'll we'll go through this. Yeah. So tell tell me how how you reacted to the second part. You were about to. I interrupted you, but I was. I think we agree about the first part. I think the first part is like an extremely solid hour of television. Um, yes, it basically does 
a season opener thing where it kind of reminds you about where everyone is for the hour. Like it kind of resets everything. And is like, this is Commander Sisko. This is Odo. He's looking for his people. This is Kira. Yep. This is the Defiant. And I think it's just, it's written by Ron Moore. Um, it's very, the thing I noticed about the first hour is that it's very much, I feel like the actors and the characters <clears throat> are really settling into themselves where the conversations between any of the characters feels good to me at this yes, point. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really what I enjoyed the first part for culminating in you said is maybe the best action sequence a Star Trek TV show has ever done where the Defiant gets under attack at the very end. Um, yeah, I just thought it was were... filmed well and everything. It, it, it felt, you know, even the, even the height of when Kira gets shot and she goes down and the camera lingers on her face as you hear fighting in the background and then it cuts to her and the shuttlecraft somehow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's all really good. So then... So the second part kicks off, and so let us know about your thoughts about the second part. Well, yeah, they—I they, mean, they've—they've they've established the uh, the Jem'Hadar. I mean, blowing up the Galaxy class ship that lingers still. Like, what, so when these guys attacked, I was like, "Oh shit, this is this is on. This is these guys are not fucking around." And then part two starts, and it's half Odo going on like a spirit quest. And I couldn't have been more bored by that stuff. Yep. But the stuff on Deep Space Nine, I really liked, except there was something weird about it. Obviously, <laughs> we find out why. <laughs> yeah. And I, I realized at the end, so the way that I felt about it, the episode is like, you know, I like to use the expression, you know, um, they uh, getting to the fireworks factory. Yeah. It's like episode one was driving to the fireworks factory and you're cresting over the hill and like as you're coming to the, as you can start seeing it, the fireworks factory starts going off and you start seeing the fireworks going off in the distance. You're getting so excited. And then all of a sudden your dad's like, let's take a shortcut and goes off the main road and just starts going off somewhere where you can no longer see the fireworks factory. And then you finally get to your destination only to find out the fireworks were in your car the whole time. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I think what I need to start doing maybe is giving this show a little bit more credit and because my feeling about the second half was I thought they had just completely whiffed. I thought, like, yeah, I couldn't yeah. figure out, I couldn't figure out why they were spending all this time on the Odo thing. Like, I was like, yeah, I mean, the Odo thing is interesting in and of itself, but why would you do it here? Why would you pick the make height a, of make this? Make an episode, yeah. Make a, no, uh, yeah. make a new episode for him and dedicate to it. Right. Yeah, especially when uh, you're coming off of this this big cliffhanger, and then even back on Deep Space Nine, the way that they uh, got everybody just kind of showed up and was fine, like wasn't wasn't weird enough for me to question, like, oh, maybe it's just written poorly, right? You know, like it, like they, the the fact that the uh, Cisco and Bashir were floating aimlessly yep and then they were uh saved by o'brien and dax like, who somehow got away from being right yeah, like yeah, that yeah. like it that didn't feel weird enough especially given the rest of the story like how it was about uh um the foundation dealing with the starfleet and all this kind of stuff it didn't feel weird enough for me to really question it it just felt like oh they really kind of decided to go a different way with this because it wasn't it wasn't so weird that it it didn't feel like a continuation of the story that they were telling. So you, just, you're saying you didn't, you didn't feel, you didn't see the strings being pulled initially when they started off that way. You thought it was just kind I, of they had made the change at that point. I tell. had a feeling, like 
in the back of my mind, I was like, is this is this going to be like a, a switcheroo thing, like they're in some sort of holodeck thing, which ended up more or less being what happened. But it it just, it wasn't um, consistently weird enough for me to, to, uh, to, to catch it. Yeah. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, because obviously it did its job. I mean, they, they kind of played up some stuff, like um, the, they took the evil Star Trek Admiral trope to, like, vi- uh, 11. Yeah. villain level. Yeah. yeah. Um, but did you, so building off of that, did, was there ever a point before they reveal what's going on where you were like, all right, this is definitely not the real universe that they're existing in? Um, I, I feel there's a couple moments when that can happen. Um, honest, honestly, not really. Really? Um, Interesting. I don't know. I mean, again, maybe it's just like my mind had kind of switched a little bit. Yeah. So maybe I was out of it a little bit because... It, I like I said I was into the stuff that was happening on Deep Space Nine, but the Odo thing was taking me out of it because I couldn't see why they were doing this. So in my in my head, it just felt like they were doing another kind of boring, you know, Deep Space Nine episode. Yeah, like I, I, I don't know why. Yeah, I, I hadn't really given them the credit to. Uh, uh, um, I figured. So what I thought was. The the Odo thing felt like it was a, a a cheesy Deep Space Nine or TNG era B plot, and the Deep Space Nine stuff felt like I liked it, but it felt almost like they felt like they wrote themselves into a corner in the last episode. Yeah. So they had to figure out well how do we move the story forward without killing everybody, and so I was like, all right, I guess that's what they're doing, and I was kind of on board with it. And they were the only time. That I think I questioned it was toward the end when Garrick gets killed. Yep. Only that, because that's one I of the ones that, I would have brought up. Yeah. 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 Only because I know he comes back. But even there, I was like, I don't fucking know. I mean, uh, what's uh, I? Uh, I mean, Kira got shot when they came onto the ship, and she was fine. So I don't know if maybe he's not dead or something. Like right. it wasn't. They, uh, yeah. They never say that he's dead. They just say we have to leave him behind when he gets shot, and they can't help. Yeah. Him. Yeah. Yeah. But I. Uh, you know, overall, I mean, once they got to the end and they revealed everything, I thought it was great. Like, overall, I thought it was really great. Um, I'm really interested by that because what I, what I thought was a potential outcome, I think the second part works much better on rewatch. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it works on your first viewing, but I think that they took a really big risk with people noticing the weirdness too soon or not buying into what's going on in the second part. Yeah. And and I think that the I think they actually do a really masterful job of it starts off kind of weird. You're like, really Cisco and Bashir just got away, but like you're saying they're just like, well, maybe they just chose to do that because they have to wrap up this they have to get them back somehow and that's the way right. that'll work. I think they do a very good job of over the course of the story slowly revealing to you that this can't possibly be the real world that they're existing in because I think the most obvious and strangest thing is that time on Deep Space Nine seems to be moving much faster than time on Odo's homeworld is happening because a lot of stuff is happening on Deep Space Nine. Right. And I think the show never says it, but you get the impression that a lot of time is passing on Deep Space Nine because no one is really surprised by the quickness that things are happening over there. And then they you know it all culminates in blowing up the wormhole and at that point i think everyone is like all right this isn't this isn't possible like the Honestly, wormhole no even at that point i was like oh okay cool that's that's a different way to you <laughs> that's know cuz like to solve i, it, I yeah. don't know 
No, I yeah, I didn't. I don't know the particulars of of the uh, the Dominion War and stuff. So I mean, blowing up the wormhole m- might be the first step. In, I I have no idea. And I was like, oh, that's a really that's a really interesting way to take things. Yeah, I thought it, you know sometimes these things just need to be changed. Um, I think the bit. I mean, looking back on it, I think the biggest flag is probably uh the uh, starfleet's attitude towards everything but even there again like i'm just going off of the way that they were trending with uh cisco's different point of view towards starfleet and clearly their writers have a different view of starfleet and when the admiral shows up and starts doing stuff that is you know normally you wouldn't think starfleet would do I was just thinking, all right, well, I guess that's the way they're going now, is now Starfleet's a little bit more gray, and they're actually going to possibly make a deal with these guys. Like, I, I, I don't know. I have, I yeah. had no idea what the outcome was going to be. So, I like, I, I was, I was legitimately uh, convinced by that stuff. I mean, I think, the, when I say that the Admiral became like a cartoon villain, like the way that they were shooting her and the way she was acting was very strange. Yeah. Like she, like the camera was lingering on her and she was giving like, she was basically uh, twirling her mustache with her eyes, you know? Yep. Yep. Um, and I, I think the Vorta does that. The, uh, the Vorta is sort of playing it up too. Uh, the guy that, the Dominion sort of guy that's coming in and talking with the Admiral and things like that. He's sort of. Uh, he, he, his dream persona is different from his real life persona when they cut mm-hmm. back to him. So it, it, it's a very, the, the dream sequence is very dramatic in a way, uh, that se- once you know what's going on, it seems artificial, but it seems sort of in the moment while you're going through it, I think. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I don't really, that was the first time I had seen that guy. So I just assumed that's how he was. Yep. Um, and I think, I don't think I noticed the time stuff as much. Uh, I think on rewatch, I would probably pick that out a little bit more. But the time stuff, yeah, the the uh, um, the speed at which everything moves along is very very fast. And in retro- watching it again, it seemed I can see it being almost like dream logic. Yeah, where you know uh, these big movements forward are, are happening much quicker than it seems. Um, honestly, again, I think the Odo stuff kind of took me out of it. Um, when it got to the end. I I liked the Odo stuff. I liked the the end point of it, but it was just so much of it. Um yeah. like I when when they got to the end and it turned out that the changelings were the core of the Dominion and basically they um started off doing more or less what Starfleet and the Federation was doing, but they just ran into so many assholes that they needed to create the Dominion in order to to uh, keep the peace more or less. Yeah. Yep. Um, I like that. I thought that was a, a really interesting way to do it, but I don't know. I feel like you could have done that. I guess it. I guess it makes a more personal connection, obviously, with Odo. But it's also something that you could have gotten across in like two sentences worth of dialogue, you know? Because like, there's nothing. Odo doesn't really. The changelings. I don't feel like impart enough of their civilization onto Odo for you to really understand this idea that they were going out and trying to meet other people and then it just went bad. They were being uh, persecuted basically by the solids as they call them. Like I don't think the the, uh, depiction of the the society was strong enough to really uh, support 
or to necessitate more than just a couple lines of dialogue explaining that. Yeah. Um, they could have, they could have done more. They could have, uh, handled it a little bit differently. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just thought that stuff kind of dragged out, dragged on a bit. Um, on also Kira was surprisingly not concerned with getting back and finding out what happened to everybody else on the defiant, which was kind of weird. Yep. Uh, I mean, she was obviously, uh, were you surprised by the, the lack of concern in the dream world for Kira and Odo? Yeah, honestly, I didn't even think about I, it. Yeah, uh, it's one of the things I I only I read about it afterwards, but it was like, you know what? Yeah, I don't think they actually ever mentioned Kira and Odo yeah. in the Dream World, which is funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, on 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 the uh, I know Kira is trying to you know back channel contact the Defiant or whatever, but like it see her her reaction wasn't. Shit, we just got marooned here after the Dominion blew up the ship with our commander on it. Now they're probably on their way to the space station and comma Bajor. Yeah. Uh, it was just sort of like, oh, I guess we're here in dark Jamaica. Yeah. Uh, w- turning into flowers. And I guess I'll just hang out. And you know what? You do you, Odo. That's Get a good point. Back and then we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I, think, I think that's a good point. She's not particularly concerned. She probably should be a little bit more... Uh, interested in getting home uh she doesn't have that kind of urgency to her yeah. i i think the problem is it's it's supposed to be an odo episode the second one so where like she can't be too pushy for him just on a storytelling level of like we need him to spend time with the changelings uh and we don't really learn a- it's funny to say we don't learn a whole lot about them um i feel that you I feel you do get a, a pretty good sense about it's not a good sense in the terms of a good story, but I think mm-hmm. that you do get a good sense about what they are and what they do. They have they have a lot about um I think a hugely important line because it ties in thematically the, the episode is where she's like, Have you been coming out to the garden and shape shifting? And Odo says, Why would I want to do that? And she says, Because you have to in order to become the thing, you have to understand what it is to be the thing. And that mm-hmm. in an essence is what the Dominion has done with the dream sequence to the Federation, right? They, mm, they've yeah. gotten into their minds and said, what makes you people tick and how far can we push you before you snap back? And that is, that's like the core of the changeling. It's not just that they are shapeshifters, but they're, their shapeshifting is literally how they perceive the universe. Odo has mentioned before that he's an observer and that's what changelings are supposed to do. The mm-hmm. changelings are observers and they... They're a different enemy from any of the other Star Trek villains because they are not just overtly violent out of the get-go. They are information gatherers, and they are very interested in understanding the psychology of their enemies on some level. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I thought that stuff was great. Like, I I don't think that they didn't explain the changelings as a a people, or, like, uh, it's just that the... The explanation as to why they became the Dominion didn't feel as apparent, didn't feel super supported by the other stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, so like if you, I mean, if you took those lines of dialogue about them turning into the, in, into the Dominion out, you still get a lot of stuff about them and you learn about them as a people. Uh, but nothing that you're, nothing that they do in this episode really really gets across the necessity to, to to become what they became. Right. Um even when they they interact with Kira in a pretty um 
not hostile but pleasant way with her. You know, they say yeah. that they don't trust solids, but they're not they're not appalled that a unauthorized solid has made it to their home world. Right, right, yeah. Um yeah. They the the changelings are and I think that I agree with you that the the Odo stuff feels like it drags mostly because of how balls to the wall the deep space 9 stuff is and yeah. I honestly I think that the we can talk a little bit more about the changelings but I think that the more interesting aspect of that whole thing is what's going on on deep space 9 because it, in my opinion it is continuing the show's newfound way of treating starfleet with the episode is basically a pushback against the idea that the Federation can be pacifist and actually get something out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that they're not the ones who would, you know, they're, they're not out there looking for a fight or anything like that. The, the Dominion threat is basically going into this dream sequence and Starfleet is super willing to give up things just to not get into a war with the Dominion. Right. Uh, they're willing to let go of Bajor. They're willing to basically abandon the Romulans, who are would be more of an ally to the Federation than the, the Dominion would at this point. I I was going to ask. Um, that was a little surprising. Uh, is it common that the Federation is working with the Romulans at this point? I I don't I can't remember where they stand coming out of TNG. No, they're they're pro- you could probably think of them as similar to the. Uh, they're a little bit further removed than the Klingons, but I, I think that the, what the show is just trying to say is that. Because the Dominion represents such a threat, these groups are willing to work with each other. It's more the, uh, whatever that's saying, the enemy you know is better than the enemy you don't, or something like right, that. Right, right. Uh, and I think that's what's at play here, and that's why the Romulans gave the defined cloaking device, because they need it, to get information as well. Yeah, and I will say, like, <laughs> I, I knew I was in it in, in part two, where uh, uh, the Romulan woman comes in, screaming about not being there when not being part of this treaty and signing these treaties and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Treaty signings. (laughs) I'm so into this, which is, which is not, which is not me up to this point with this show, but I was, I was, I was in, I was in it. So I guess I'm a, I'm guess I'm a deep space nine fan now. Right. Cause it, I mean, it's, it's not just about the piece of paper there. What, what's, what's really going on is that the Federation in this dream sequence is sort of upsettingly abandoning you know, as a viewer, they're the race that you know. And right. they're not the ones that blew up the Enterprise. It's like, why why are you giving up all these things? The Bajorans, and then later in the dream sequence, the Bajorans decide to side with the Romulans against mm-hmm. the Dominion and everything like that. And and even that stuff, like, it didn't strike me as so weird that it was explicitly fake because I thought it was a really effective way to establish how big of a deal or how big of a threat the Dominion is. Because if you if you know, if off screen basically this uh these talks are happening and Starfleet's like we we basically just need to get the fuck out of here cuz these guys are going to wreck us if we yep. don't. Yep. Like I, that's 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 pretty imposing. I Starfleet has never come up against something like that. At least not uh not that I'm aware of. No, Except for like no. the Borg, and the Borg is just flat out a killing machine. This is this is like you are coming up you are coming up against a legit larger foe, more powerful than you are, and you yeah, you have to rethink your strategy. Do you continue to push forward or do you maybe hit this wall and say, you know what? You guys do what you're gonna do, we're gonna go back. We're, we, there's a whole other side of the galaxy we can look at. We'll just head that way. Yeah. And I, I get the impression that they I get the impression that in this 
And I guess we can talk about what is going on in the dream sequence here. So, like, is the is the reason that the dream sequence is a little bit weird is because they are the Dominion is playing with the idea of what they think the Federation would do? Or are they... I wonder if I can really express what I'm thinking about here. So, like, the... Do you think that the giving up of so many concessions is true to what the Federation would do? Or do you think that that is only something that would happen in the dream sequence? I think they're specifically pushing it to the extreme. Um, because what, what, the point of it was to to see how far they could push Cisco. And, and, and well, I guess I should say, uh, I guess there's a lot of aspects. Uh do you I think the were... Dominion is trying to avoid war? I guess would be a good way to look at it too. Like, is the is the Dominion setting up this dream sequence to see how far they can push before fighting starts and then stop, or are they intent on war with the Federation? Um, that's a good question. I f- feel like I don't know if I would say that they are intent on war. But it feels like they were doing this as a way to be fully prepared. Yeah, I, I'd agree you know? with that. I, I think like, that is. I think the Dominion doesn't necessarily want to. I think they can, if they can conquer peacefully, they would prefer to do that. Well, I think it's. I think it's that, but I think it's also like they might not want a war, but they will go to war at the drop of a hat. Yes. Yep. And so, it, in knowing that they're going, knowing that that's the way they operate. They need to find out as much about this potential uh, um, foe as possible, right? Um, and to, to see, see if they'd be willing to close the wormhole. You know, that's that's yeah. big information for the Dominion to realize that they can't push them that way because the the wormhole is the only way to get to the Alpha Quadrant within anyone's lifetime, basically. And I mean, what they're doing really is 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 testing testing the fortitude of Starfleet. You know, yep. They uh, well, it's it's a weird thing, honestly, because. Uh, this is might get a little too magic xylophony, but uh, uh, how the fictional scenario they're creating is based entirely off of what off of Cisco and the other Starfleet members they have in captives' minds, right? That is my understanding. So that makes it seem that whatever Cisco imagines would be a possibly realistic representation of how the Federation would react to it. Because he, yeah, I, he's seeing what what might possibly happen from his brain. Yeah, that's how I was thinking of it. So it was less like it was less like they're putting Cisco in a situation and then keep jacking up the situation on their end as much as they're watching to see how things will play out and nudging it forward every now and then from their end to uh see how Starfleet might potentially uh, react. Yes. Yep. Uh, yeah. I think if that's anything, a good way to think about it. If anything, if anything, what I, what I, uh, if I was the, uh, if I was the Dominion, I, I learned some shit from this personally because it's like, first of all, you learn that Cisco is is not to be fucked with. Yeah. And <laughs> second of all, you learn that Cisco thinks the Federation is gonna fold like a piece of paper. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's definitely he's definitely losing faith. In this, and it's like it gets pretty, it gets a little bit nerdy. But uh, the Admiral Necheyev, who's appeared, is actually a Admiral that they've had before. Uh, we've seen her before, but she comes, yep. she was in the Maquis episode. Um, she 
she's a character that they always bring back as an admiral who she's an admiral who is ultimately a sort of hardcore pragmatist. She mm-hmm. in every episode she appears, she always has to make a sort of um you know, this is the rules. This is what we do, but like we're just going to get through this and get to the end. Like this is the best result for everybody. It doesn't matter uh, if a few people suffer underneath us, but this is like the best case scenario that we can get through. Yep. So bringing her back here is the sense of she is the pragmatist who's willing to give up too much. And Cisco is no longer that character. He's no longer the emissary character who came in to sort of fix the uh, Bajor situation and just be an administrator. He's not willing to go down that path. Uh, they tie it into it earlier. DS9 is now home to Cisco. Mm. Um, he's brought all his stuff from Earth. Uh, he says, when did I think that this Cardassian monstrosity would become home? Which is kind of a funny line. I like it. Um, but he is, you could say that living on the frontier has changed Cisco enough where he's no longer what the Federation represents. And he's sort of distrustful, uh, distrustful and fearful of the Federation. As you were saying, they'd fold at the earliest possible opportunity. Yeah, it's... Um... <clears throat> The, I mean, you know, getting into the, the logistics and the, of the mechanism here is probably pointless. But it's it's almost unfortunate be, uh, that it turns out to be fake because I thought the scene with Cisco uh, and Garrick was great. Yep. And that's that's the kind of scene where it's like I could that scene would play out if Cisco and Garrick were actually talking in the real world. But like, does that scene play out if you're basing it on? Cisco's mind, right? Because I guess that means he expects Garrick to act that way. You know, it's it probably it's, you know, it's 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 questioning the mechanism that doesn't really matter. It's the same when uh, when Bashir comes onto the station and he's talking to Garrick. Garrick says he says, "How are things, Garrick?" And Garrick says, "With the spy business, because Bashir is the one that's constantly thinking about Garrick as a spy." You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Um, so it is a little bit tinged, but. I would say don't worry about that. <laughs> sort of like Oh, that. no, 100%. Yeah, no, it's uh, I'm not I'm not taking points away because yeah, the, yeah. the because the time travel mechanism isn't realistic, you know. But but like I that, think but. that the I guess what it's I I guess that like to um to say that like that conversation wouldn't really happen, I would say that I I feel the characters in the dream sequence are not super distorted versions of themselves like they're they're pretty Mm -hmm. accurate portrayals of how i think those people are you know what i mean like they're Mm -hmm. they're not nothing's really wrong with anybody that you're like where where are we what universe are we in i think everyone reacts appropriately in the way that they they would in real life except in the real world o'brien would have stomped a mud hole in that jim hadard guy's ass i like that i like that scene where cisco storms in and says that his chief of operations is lying in the in the hospital and and then screaming at the admiral i want to know what the hell is going on Commander, I don't appreciate your barging in here. I want to know why my science officer's been transferred without my consent. I want to know why my chief of operations is lying in the infirmary while the Jem'Hadar who beat him is free to walk the station. And I want to know why the Federation is willing to risk a war with the Romulans to form an alliance with a group of people that we hardly know and barely trust. Are you finished? I haven't even begun. Admiral, I think you should tell Commander Sisko what he wants to know. All right. I suppose he deserves to be the first to hear the news. What news? The Federation is pulling out of this sector. All Starfleet personnel currently stationed on DS9 will be reassigned to other posts, yourself included. What about Bajor? Our plans for Bajor are on hold for the time being. From now on, Bajor will be the Dominion's responsibility. They'll be running this station. 
And you're telling me that the Bajorans have agreed to this? We're confident they'll have no objections. And if they do object, what then? You send in the Jem'Hadar? The Jem'Hadar are used only against our enemies. Bajor will be protected, Commander. We'll see to it. And the the Vorta has the great line, like what, uh, Cisco starts saying, "What does the Federation get out of the, any of this?" And the Vorta has the line about our friendship, which is a great um, double speak for those two. Um, do I want to? I don't. I, I don't know if uh, the Vorta, the guy who plays the Vorta, uh, is he? He was in the original TV movie of It, Stephen King's It. Oh, really? Yeah, which I, I he looked really familiar, and then I looked him up, and yeah, he played the uh, adult version of. Eddie Kasparak for all you Stephen <laughs> King fans out there. <laughs> I thought I might have ruined something to you because in the uh, the previous episode, I think that I mentioned that the Vorta were different than the Founders. I don't know if you would remembered me saying that or if that uh, colored your your uh, like. Oh, honestly, I I didn't even it didn't even pop into my didn't head. even trigger. Okay, so I was I was curious about that. Um, so we've met the three races of the Dominion that we're going to primarily meet. We meet that other weird guy that Quark talks to in Part One, who's a member of the Dominion, but. Going forward, the three main groups are the Founders, uh, which are the Changelings, the Jem'Hadar, and then the Vorta are the three that we deal with the most. Um, do I want to... Uh, I mean, we'll kind of go off t- off topic here, but the, uh, the Defiance is the big addition here as well. The Defiance sticks yeah. around. Um, oh, it does. Okay, yeah. yeah, I was wondering about that. Especially because uh, um, at the end they beam back to the Defiant, and I was like, didn't the Defiant get, like, pretty substantially fucked up in yeah, that fight? Yeah, yeah. Odo says it was get... a drift in space the last set they saw it, so it was damaged, but I guess workable enough to get back home. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, I wonder what the... I don't know, I wonder what the strategic benefit of not killing them is. Uh, for the Dominion? Yeah. Because like the I, Dominion need them to know how far they can push the Federation. Yeah, right? they, have to, they have to plug no, them. No, I mean the like after, after the fact, I mean. Like after you oh. figure that out. Why, if, especially, if you've, especially if you've just run a simulation where uh, all of those people work together to close the wormhole. Because um, no changeling has ever harmed another, as she tells Odo. So Odo says, if you do anything to them, you have to do it to me. So she's unwilling to do that. At the yeah, I'll end. buy that. That's, that's fair. Um, the... And that doesn't be, that becomes very foundational to the changelings. Um, that that is sort of a mantra of theirs that they no changeling will ever hurt another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, that that's the reason to get rid of them. I do feel that it's a little bit of an like I I I feel that the ending is a little bit of abrupt. I know that they wanted to get to the founder reveal, mm-hmm. but then Odo's switch comes a little bit abruptly and as you're saying they just kind of they just kind of leave and go i do love the final scene of kira uh with odo as they beam up together um i feel you learn a lot about those two from their sort of marooned adventure on this uh this planetoid or whatever but the, yeah, the ending feels the, a little bit abrupt yeah i could see that i thought all the character stuff was pretty great um you know I, in the first half i thought the quark and cisco scene was really good uh cisco I like the, and get- <laughs> yeah i like the um when Odo is given quarters on the Defiance and he's in Quark's quarters, and I like I like the the uh, the conversation be, uh, between Bashir, Odo, and Quark is very funny to me. Doctor, yeah. I take that as a personal insult. You should. <laughs> and oh, oh, angry Odo. There's a lot of angry Odo in these episodes, which is which is fun. 
why so what do you what do you think what do you think that's about why why is is that just his uh situation there or do you think that they're implying something more heavily do you do you think that they're trying to foreshadow the founders thing there or are they is he just angry because he has that instinctual need to get home at this point because he's in that uh and he just doesn't want to be near quark yeah i think it was i i think it's a little bit um i at least when i was watching it i took it as a little bit him being put out put out still that he got fired basically yeah uh but he's still there helping everybody even though he agreed to do it you could still be pretty kind of like you know sour about that yeah, uh, yeah, but I think it's some of that, and I also think it is the like he's basically kind of like uh, in heat for his home. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> and he's got to get back. Sweet changeling action. They um, that, is that supposed to be his mother, or is it just another changeling? No, when they, they started merging bodies. I was like, okay, this got weird. Could be like, twisted. Weirder. Did they? Than talk, I thought it was going to. Did they talk? And I can't remember if they. I think they mentioned something about um. They don't really have a family relationship. They, they kind mm-hmm. of they had because they laugh when Odo says that he was sent away as an infant. I always think of um, a Superman for some reason. Even though Odo's homeworld is not destroyed, I imagine him getting like shot off in a rocket to go somewhere. Yeah. Um, and we learn a little bit. There, there's there is some important information that we learn from their conversations. A, they sent out a hundred changeling babies, right, to go gather information about the galaxy and bring it back to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Odo came back faster than they expected because, as I always need to remind myself, the wormhole has not always been there. It just, they sort of re triggered it in Emissary. And so it, it popped open. The Dominion was unaware of it as well, too, because they expected Odo to come back in another 300 years and they came back earlier than that. Um, all of this is to say the Dominion is aware of the Federation and the Dominion is planning something. And the wormhole has actually cause their plans to be pushed ahead and maybe that's why they're in such a needful uh mood for gathering information because they haven't Mm -hmm. had the time to gather information yeah and odo being sent out is you know it's kind of an interesting thing you know he, he doesn't know anything about it he's somehow supposed to find his way back home and everything like that but the the changelings to me kind of have a borg like structure too um yes where they seem to share information with each other when they're in that link uh thing where they're sort of mixing with each other um i don't know if you thought anything else was was sort of particularly interesting about that but just i wanted to mention it before we uh forget about it yeah i mean moving on i don't know if they do any of this but the implication would be that they could have just taken everything they that odo knows about the security of deep space nine yeah 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 you could because we're 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 sort of kept in the, they they call it the Great Link, but where the episode doesn't do a great deal of explaining what that means. Similar to how you were saying, they don't really explain the Changeling society beyond this yeah. is what they are. Um, they're definitely just sort of setting up ideas. I think at this point to see if any of them want to stick or go somewhere. Yeah, um, I have to I have to admit, like if you're looking at the scoreboard, I think the Dominion is is way ahead of the as Starfleet on this one uh, as far as. Uh, tactical advantage because they potentially know everything that Odo knows about Deep Space Nine. Yeah, they've run similar a to the Lacutus storyline. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah, same idea. They've run a, a simulation to see how far Cisco uh, and them will go to defend the place, and then also they know that Cisco thinks Federation is going to fold. Yeah, uh, <laughs> they've seen their cloaking technology. 
um, and disabled it, basically. Um, we get the implication and- they can see through it the entire time, too, because they... Yeah, they, they certainly know by the end that it's there because they yeah. figured out the ship. They could see it uh, earlier on when it, was, it wasn't was at warp or whatever it was doing, and then they, they know about it at the very end. And if if you look at the... If you look at what the Federation knows, they basically know uh, the only the only people they've come in contact with on a uh, battlefield are the Jem'Hadar, and they fucked the Federation up. Yep. And those were only three ships that did that. <laughs> so if I, that's why when that's why in the on the ship on the station when the Federation was folding, I was like, honestly, I don't blame them. Yeah. Yeah, at the very least, to buy some time, you know, to figure out what the hell these people are about, because they don't know anything. Would you have? I, and I think that's an an interesting distinction that they don't do. There's no point of the dream sequence where anyone is like, "We're the admiral doesn't pull Cisco inside and say, listen, we're giving this up now because we need a little bit of time to figure out what's going on.' But we we intend to draw. There has to be a red line drawn somewhere to bring modern politics into it. They never right. draw a red line for the Dominion. Yeah, honestly, that's what I assumed they were doing. Uh, that's why I guess I didn't really question it that much because I assumed that was what they were, what the tactic was is is they were uh, brokering a temporary peace just so they could figure out what the hell's going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. We talked about the defiant. Obviously, defiant sticks around is uh, a, a, the way to get. We mentioned in the Jem'Hadar the runabouts are a little ridiculous at this point. They're basically shuttlecrafts that are flying mm-hmm. around. Uh, the Dominion gives a little bit more teeth. The the essence of the Dominion or the uh, Defiant is funny because uh, Roddenberry is basically, I think he's dead at this point or he's gone or something, but they're they're deliberately pushing out. Roddenberry apparently had this rule where the warp nacelles had to be in an even number and you had to see 50% of each warp nacelle from the other one. So basically they had to be detached from the ship uh, and sticking out somewhere. What a really weird rule. He, uh, I was looking at the 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 sort of belief that this was happening is because apparently he hired somebody to do design work, and then that was enough to invalidate that guy getting a claim for payment on them. Really? Yeah. Does that make sense? So he he hired someone to design the starships. They gave him something, and he changed it just enough so that he would be able to claim it as an independent design and not have to sort of financially pay the. Oh, well, that's pretty shady. So he, he that's that, that's like the gossip that was online about why he would do it. But that's why he has such weird specific rules. He's no longer around. The Defiant does have two warp engines, but they're tucked under the ship and you can't see them from each well, other. Well, so. I mean, they broke that rule pretty flagrantly in uh, uh, the series finale of yeah. TNG when the Enterprise shows up with that third big <laughs> dick nacelle in the back of it. <laughs> and a huge honking laser. They need that gun from the future to fight the Dominion. Yeah. And then... um. The other thing is just that uh, it's a warship, right? Which can't be... We've seen... I think we've seen medical ships and normal starships. And those are the only ships that we've seen. Maybe uh, science vessels, but they'd well, probably yeah. be considered medical. That, but this is the first one that's actually designed for war. That whole uh, discussion about it, I thought was really interesting. Like when Cisco starts talking about, essentially, this is a warship and the implications of that. Because I, I don't know... I can't remember if they ex- address it explicitly, but like the implications of it are... Are pretty pretty uh, uh, apparent that uh, their Starfleet is 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 taking a different consideration about things, and how does that again? That's that seemed to me like you've got people with a different view of of this um, of this entity writing the show now. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I thought all, that stuff was really interesting. I really like the um, I like the first episode basically just because it's a lot of that character interactions. They hey, they finally got a conference room on Deep Space Nine, which is nice. That's the first time that we've seen the conference <laughs> room, I think. Um, but it's good for those kind of conversations. It's good for Cisco breaking down the Defiant. You get Dax and Cisco actually having a pretty good conversation. I think Terry Farrell did a good job as Dax. I don't know if they yeah. they didn't even really change her that much, but I felt like it was much more concrete the conversation they were having about. She was talking about how Curzon used to think that uh, Cisco was not the one who wanted to be an admiral at some point. He needed to be out there. Felt that felt good to me. In that one, does Cisco eventually get a promotion? He does. Yeah, he does. Okay. Because yeah, that's another, that's another thing. I thought he didn't, so that's another thing that didn't make me think it was fake. Because I was like, oh yeah, I mean, he does become a captain eventually. Yes, he does. Um, and I think that's. You know, I think we pretty much touched on everything. I don't know if there, is there anything you were uh, thinking is sticking out as sort of something you wanted to touch on. Um, just looking really. through my notes here. Yeah, no, I think we I think we covered pretty much everything. Um. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. Pretty much it. Yeah. I'm sorry. I had a lot of notes, but I think we pretty much covered everything. Um, I mean, we we touched on the uh, the cloaking device a little bit, but that's that's a pretty big game changer too, because that's it's another so- violation of Roddenberry's rules. Um, yeah. He said that the Federation will never use a cloaking device because we don't go sneaking around. Uh, but they do. They they get one eventually. <laughs> he was and, not even cold in the ground, and they <laughs> threw that rule book out the window. <laughs> it's um. Yeah, I mean, the the cloaking device is necessary. It's the only way that they can go into the Gamma Quadrant at this point. There's no way to justifiably have a Federation ship go through without one, without expecting it to be blown up or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I would like to uh, mention a little bit how the way that they're handling the stuff on this show is just so much more uh, nuanced and smart than the way they handled it on Discovery. Because... I feel like on Discovery, they didn't take into account what the Federation and Starfleet is supposed to be until they needed to give that big speech at the end. I mean, everything up until that point was just like, no, they're just, it's the Federation, they're a war unit. They kind of throw that ethos aside, whereas in this one, the actions they're taking are, are have pretty wide-reaching uh, consequences in terms of each character and the way that they relate to everything that they do in the show. Um, and so it's, it's unfortunate that, that discovery didn't keep that concept a little bit more on the forefront. I mean, I understand that they were, they were at the, in a full fledged war, but like, I assume I can only assume as we're going into the quote unquote dominion war that, the concept of the Federation and what it stands for actively being at war is going to be something that they deal with fairly regularly. Yep. Yep. The, Whereas, the hypocrisy of the stated objectives of the Federation, how does that organization deal with being at war with someone? Right. Whereas in Discovery, they didn't really do that. Well, I and, mean, the, the, the whole, the central thing about this episode is that you've spent many seasons of Star Trek understanding what the Federation is. You know, if you... Right. D- Discovery was just, we never saw the Federation. You know nothing about what the Federation is at that point in Starfleet's history. You know nothing right. about... You see an admiral every once in a while, but you never have any contact with the Federation that means anything. There's never any episode that sort of states like, this is the, what the 
the the agenda of the Federation is at this time point in the timeline. DS9, this episode's effective because you know what it means, and they've clearly run into an enemy who's willing to exploit what that means to be the right. Federation. Right, right. Yep. Discovery, not willing to not willing to do that. Maybe season two will touch on these things. But I mean, it's I, I feel like it's we're early going yet, but after you probably finish Deep Space Nine, Discovery will probably take a whole new tone where you had mentioned before, do you think that the uh, Discovery writers had seen this episode? You might question whether or not they've seen Deep Space Nine uh, at, at any point. <laughs> like, And I know it's a lot of Star Trek. You don't need all writers to see it, but I think you... It's it might be a little it bit odd definitely how, helps. <laughs> how unfamiliar they were with one of the major franchises, I think. Um, yeah, it's honestly, when I was watching this, uh, I was thinking about Discovery and how it feels like, you know, I, I, I didn't want to be one of the people go, who go over the top and be like, the, the people who make Discovery have absolutely no regard for anything that's come before. But I mean, after watching this and getting into this stuff, it, it, it's starting to feel more like that's the case. Yeah. Um, and I know I know that's unfair of me to say because obviously I'm not I don't work on the show or anything and 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 there's plenty of love and care that goes into a lot of the on-screen stuff as far as the look of it and the and the uh, um, the actors have nothing but great stuff to say and they they feel like they're carrying the torch but like as from a conceptual standpoint it just feels like I, for some reason I just kept thinking to myself why didn't they put it in the future I like I, this, yeah. I, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I don't know we, why we need to get into this again, but this is it was just in my mind. But for some reason, I think it I think it was because the stuff they were doing in this episode of Deep Space Nine was moving the pieces around in a way that they hadn't done up to that point. That I'm thinking about Discovery and all the crazy fucking shit that they do that they then have to do backflips to write out of continuity, or they don't even care about continuity at all. And it's like why did. Why don't you just put it in the future? It would solve all of your problems, and it would. I I, I guarantee like sixty percent of the criticism about everything that we just talked about, as far as regard for the previous show, would be out the window if it yeah. was just at a different point in time where this stuff was was easier to believe. Yeah, and stood uh, on, stood on its own. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. I I'm sorry to bring it up again. No, we'll uh we'll wrap it up there. I think I'll just say that the last point will be um. The, I I just wanted to clarify that the the Dominion role I think is important to sort of like just state it out here and they they talk about it in this episode is that the you can kind of think of the Dominion as they are sort of fascist authoritarians like that that's the way to look at them they are uh, they have a line about we seek to put order to a chaotic universe which is yeah. kind of a distillation of what authoritarianism was is basically believes at some level. Um, the changelings are scared of people who have persecuted them before. They are willing to conquer those threats in order to subjugate them and not be in danger anymore. They're very reminiscent of Nazi Germany and Europe in World War II. Um, they, the Nazis similarly wanted to move out, conquer, and then subjugate and everything like that. Uh, the changelings are the same way. The changelings have built this empire that is predicated on defending themselves at the expense of everyone else who surrounds them. And they drop a, I, I don't know if you've been noticing, I've been, every time that we've been having an episode and Odo says something remotely authoritarian, I try to bring it up and say mm. like, what, what does Odo think about this entire thing? Yeah. And the changelings here have a line, 
they say something about you they say something about you are going to find that you will have an easier time accepting our way than their way that's the way that they go out like you you might we might miss you but you're going to miss us a lot more than we miss you mm-hmm. um so what they're kind of implying and i see this as a criticism and we don't have to talk about it now i just want to bring it up a lot of the criticism that i read about the show people seem to have a problem with the um uh odo's like genetic disposition towards this and i think it makes sense in the context and i think that when we started the show uh the podcast of ds9 you people were writing in patrons are talking about like oh like when this thing flips later on in the series it's really great and we were watching terrible episodes at that point and you had the question like do you think they really planned this and i responded that no but they did a good job of retconning bad ideas into better ideas later Mm -hmm. on Mm-hmm. And I think Odo is the pinnacle of that because they took, it was not, they were not sure until they started writing this episode uh, over the, the season break that the changelings were going to be the founders. That was like, the, that was not known at the time of the Jemadar was written. So they wrote it that way and Odo fits in almost perfectly with how this all shook out and how Odo's um, characterization makes total sense when you meet the people that he comes from yeah yeah no that, that's I, just, I think it's clever that's, yeah no that's 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 a great great way to 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 work that stuff in yeah i i wonder it's um i wonder what came like i assume i wonder if they did that because they wanted to use odo for I, for that for that relationship you know what i mean like i wonder yes, if yeah if, they're like, well, we want Odo to be connected. Here's how Odo is. Oh, that would make sense that his people would be the people behind them. That kind I'd of have thing. to look back and see what the most, like, I w- uh, I'd like to think that he did. I don't remember Odo's authoritarianism coming through in only in the second season. I feel like he kind of was that way in the first season as well. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they had any idea then. I would, I would accept that, that they wanted to start a formulator, start bubbling that idea, maybe somewhere in the second season. They're like, oh, let's drop it a little bit more. Um, but I don't know. I know that maybe they were building towards that as a potential outcome. Uh, but I know that the decision was not made until the season break. But it, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be unexpected if they were like, let's drop a couple you know, clues just in case we decide to go this way. It'll all make sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's it. All right, so we're going to take a break, play an audio clip, come back, patron thoughts, and then we will wrap this one up. I don't understand. You knew about this? Yes. But how could you allow it? You belong to the Dominion, don't you? Belong to it? Major, the changelings are the Dominion. You're the founders. Ironic, isn't it? The hunted now control the destinies of hundreds of other races. What? Why control anyone? Because what you can control can't hurt you. So many years ago, we set ourselves the task of imposing order on a chaotic universe. Is that what you call it, imposing order? I call it murder. What you call it is no concern of ours. How do you justify the deaths of so many people? The Salads have always been a threat to us. That's the only justification we need. Well, these solids have never harmed you. They traveled the galaxy in order to expand their knowledge, just as you once did. The solids are nothing like us. 
No. I suppose they're not. Okay, so, patron thoughts. If you guys are uh, patrons on patreon.com slash thepenskefile, you support the show, you give a couple dollars, you give it whatever you can. Uh, you get to leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes and they get read on the podcast. We're a little bit out of order with this one because we're trying to uh, sort of get our schedule or recording schedules on sync and stuff. So the search didn't have many days up there to get some feedback. Well, we've got some. Nick Sergi writes, the search was okay, but how many tubes of hair gel did the makeup people use for Dax's hair? That style, along with Odo's <laughs> awful belt, go away after this two-parter. As for the story itself, it's quite unexpected to tout a new warship only to have it get its butt kicked. Still, when it fired the phasers the first time, I was knocked out of my socks. It is, it does fire the phasers uh, very uniquely in a way that's very un-Star Trek-y. Uh, more machine gun-like, I oh, guess. Oh, that, that shit was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I, actually, I actually exclaimed when that happened. <laughs> I was like, holy shit! <laughs> it's a good... Ch- it, it definitely makes it seem more warlike. It just... It basically just shoots the shit out of anything, and whatever gets in its way blows up. Um, and, you know, th- and that ship I find fascinating because it's like it addresses it addresses something that I feel like most people must be thinking about the Federation, where it's like, yeah, okay, I mean, the Federation isn't a war, a warring people, but you gotta assume that they have weapons like that in case they need them. Like, there's got to be some subset of the Federation that's building shit just in case they need it. It's not like they, they stopped at phasers and photon torpedoes. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I would think maybe it's, maybe it's modern cynicism working itself into it or pessimism working itself into Star Trek writing to think that, but like, I think it'd be fairly naive to think that the Federation doesn't have some sort of like, uh, maybe strongly military, the Batman of it. What's the, what's yeah. the, the, what's Morgan Freeman's character? Oh, uh, shit. Yeah, uh, Lucius Fox. Lucius Fox, yeah, there's a Lucius yeah, the, Fox of Starfleet The Research somewhere. and Development di- Division. I mean, I, honestly, it's isn't it what the, uh, it's basically what the plot of Into Darkness is about, isn't it? Where yeah, uh, yeah. you get Robocop there working on the giant spaceship that's like a stealth ship or whatever. I don't know. But it, it's... Yes. Uh, Into Darkness that, is um, Section 31, right? I, I oh, think. is that what it is? Explicitly Section 31? I think they say yeah. that in Into Darkness, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's like it's it's a less straight up evil version of that, where it's like, yeah, I I I would expect that the Federation has, even though they are a peace spreading unit, has a research and development section where it's like, all right, well, you know, if we need to use this bunker buster bomb, we have it. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I I. 100% agree. This stuff needs to be out there. So let's see some of it and see how it works. And I think it's clever. It's almost cute that it actually, they weren't very good at building a warship. You know what I mean? Like yeah, they, the yeah. thing has problems. It's overpowered and it, it basically falls apart That's, when it needs to do stuff. I actually, I actually really like that. I, that, that makes me feel like it, if, if you don't want to be totally uh, uh, cynical about it, that makes it feel more in more real to the concept of the Federation, where it's like yeah. they're gonna do it, but they're not used to doing it, so it's gonna be kind of weird. Yeah, <laughs> right. And yeah, I just think it's a it's a neat design on all levels. Like even the quarters, right? It's just tiny bunk beds. There's yeah. no sick bay. There's no area to hang out. It is only built to basically fly off and shoot things, and that's I will, what it serves the purpose. I will also mention that when they kept, when they got onto it, Odo came in and he was holding that bucket. I was like, he's gonna sleep in that bucket. <laughs> I know it. He's gonna sleep in that bucket. Uh, Mark, uh, I put his pronunciation here. Mark Kaiko. That's how I'm gonna pronounce this. 
This is where the series really starts to pick up and get better. Finding out that there is another bigger, badder kid on the block, or at least in the next neighborhood, was a real eye-opener for Starfleet and everyone in the Alpha Quadrant. Although the Borg were the ultimate bad guys for Trek during this era, they were just too overpowered and blew the load too early as far as appearances and follow-up. The way space battles are filmed on DS9 was much better than TNG. I seem to recall the jerky camera footage added a more cinematic, immersive feel to the fights. Although the episode is ultimately a dream episode, it serves as a good intro to the Dominion who are just worried about the Alpha Quadrant. Good, jo- uh, Great job on the show, guys. Thanks. Oh, so don't need to read that. Um, don't you, though? No, no. He says, great job. Uh, we don't need Clay anymore, though, so we'll forget about mm, him. That sounds um, like a dream sequence to me. That's a good way to... That, that's something I didn't really... Maybe I was thinking about it, but I didn't put my finger on it, that the the show is actually showing that uh, the Dominion are just as concerned about the Federation as the Federation are on, on a different level. They're more, maybe not as frightened of them, but they're just as concerned about them existing out mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen Cobb, the search. So much going on in this episode. I have to start with the biggest thing in it, Dax's hair. Everyone was commenting on Dax's hair. We, we held I strong, thought, Clay. I thought Dax's hair looked pretty good. I thought, it was, <laughs> I, thought it was an, I thought it was an upgrade from what it usually is, personally. Did the symbiont move from her belly to her head? Is she hiding? <laughs> is she hiding a runabout in it? Is that how uh, Suska snuck on the Defiant? The other things I managed to see around her hair were the introduction of the Defiant and the implication that Starfleet has purpose-built ships instead of an every ship does everything doctrine. The dialogue surrounding the ship's introduction and the little conversations of the crew as they head out does a good job of organically explaining the Defiant. Yeah, that's that's what it was when when Cisco gets into explaining. Uh, how they're working on ships that are not basically cruise ships. Um, I, I like that stuff a lot. That was really good. Odo was a standout in this episode. It was as strong a character piece as it was an action piece, which is nice. I think they balanced the two very well. The whole mind simulation thing was good. The ending came as a surprise. We knew something was up, but we had no idea it was all in the heads of everyone. Odo, Kira, Cisco, etc. were all within, and that everyone, including Odo, Kira, and Cisco, were all within 100 yards of each other the whole time. The episode is a whole lot better than I remember. To echo earlier comments, it feels more like a later season of DS9 than the beginning of season three. Uh, Michael Pond says, My take in the search of was an iconic piece of 70s culture, one which really captured the weird zeitgeist of the time. Whenever I hear the opening title sequence, immediately transport me back to childhood, a time when the world is full of mystery. Leonard Nimoy's narration uh, added an air of authority and eerie otherworldliness to each story. Wait, we're not reviewing in search of. No. Michael, this is the episode DS9, The Search, instead. Although that uh, In Search of was quite something. Everyone should check that one out. Evan Coyne. You know, I have to say, I love those shows, but I feel like they're really hard to watch um, when they're dated. Yeah. Like, like if, if it was whatever the modern version of In Search of is, I would be all over that. But, like, Going 30, back, years, yeah, 30 yeah. years later, there's just something about it. Like, the filming, having it not be modern makes it feel really quaint and and tough tough to get through the search evan Coyne. it was all a dream but i'm not mad Riker gets his beard in this episode in the form of the uss defiant and cisco in the captain's seat with or without the pip odo is the star of the story and changes the most literally although i never thought he was going to join the dominion the founders do offer something that the solids can't the great link a little slow in parts with an anticlimactic reset button ending it sets up the dominion war with its serialized episodes where ds9 eventually shines Strong performances from the whole cast. The female changeling is creepy as hell. Four out of five. I, I also did want to mention it. It looks like that they've tweaked Odo's makeup a little bit, and he looks a lot like Jared from Silicon Valley. <laughs> um, what did you think of the changeling design? The uh, other changelings. Did you did uh, you pay any thought to it? Not really. I mean, not really. They're okay. just 
different versions of Odo face. So are they? Yeah. Or did did you think that they looked like Odo, or did they look better than Odo? Like, like I I had a hard time. I I couldn't tell if the makeup was implying that they were a slightly more accurate version than he is, and he's like the blandest face of all. Oh, of them. I honestly didn't even think about it. Yeah, I, I, it's it's hard to tell because most of the time you see them, they're in the darkness. So I, I didn't really know what they were trying to do. Um, Kyle Barrett writes the search. Just last episode, Cisco and Quark's relationship had improved, along with the implication that human and Ferengi were finally starting to understand each other. But here, Cisco takes pleasure in using Quark's almost religious reverence for the Negus' scepter to lord over him and kind of humiliate him. I don't like that scene at all, but it's my only complaint to the two-part, which overall is great. The assault on the Defiant at the end of the first episode might be the best Star Trek action scene up to this point, and the show looks so much better this season. Where season two rapidly improved the show, this, for me, is where DS9 begins to become my favorite Star Trek series. Uh, okay, and then Matthew Ross. A continuation without being a real continuation, I would argue the start of serialization of Star Trek, which gives it a nice structure to the whole Trek universe. With the fear of an imminent uh, Dominion incursion, our characters turn into simple facets of themselves. So Brian calls it as it is. Kira is a terrorist, and Dax wants to study the Dominion for science. And then a shiny new toy appears, the Defiant. It's an interesting touch to add a Romulan as a loner, although that quickly disappears in later episodes. She doesn't come back. Um... I, I wonder if you wonder uh, if you remember Clay. There's the Starfleet guy who takes Odo's job at the start. Yes, he's he's someone to remember. He does come back. Yeah, I was wondering um, about that if he was going to stick around for a bit. Yeah, I will say uh, also I was uh, at the beginning of this episode or, or beginning of the first half. I th- think maybe it was around the time of the Defiant reveal or something. Someone was talking about like. Uh someone new coming onto the ship or something like that. And I was like, oh yeah, give me that war faction, baby. Here it yeah. comes. And then it was just Cisco. And I was like, ah, oh, whatever. Yeah, just sir. Um, let me see here. Matthew wrote quite a bit. I will, let me see here if I can, uh, let me see. The interplay between Quark and Odo is reliably antagonistic and allows you to see ships, the ship's lack of facilities. When you get to shooting, it's nice to know that a Starfleet regulation for rock storage on the bridge was kept on the prototype. It's true. Uh, note that these Jem'Hadar have a white tube, which later becomes very important to them. The planet of Goo lets you know that it's not Odo that can't make... Oh, there we go. It can't make faces well. No one from his people can. So Matthew seems to think that the uh, the changelings are also no good at making faces. Um, let's see here. Do, 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 do. Sorry, Matthew. You wrote, you wrote quite a bit. I'm just trying to pick it up because we're over an hour and ten minutes at this point. Uh, I can even... I would, I would like to point out that Odo's com badge turned liquid. So there you go, Clay. I think you had actually brought that up before um, well, about whether yeah. it wears one. Yeah, I was also thinking that too. Like I, I, I thought it would have been a nice touch um, uh, when he flies in as the vulture and then turns back into Odo. I thought yep. it would have been a nice touch if he had formed into whatever clothes that the other people were wearing as opposed yep. to his uh, DS. No, seriously. Cause it, I mean, yeah, that's, it, that, that's true. Yeah, he, he, he would fully be immersed in their culture at that point. He'd be in their little monkey robe, or their monk robes or whatever, you know? Yeah, you know, I mean, that's a, you know, he's he's been fired from Deep Space Nine anyway. So I guess it makes sense because it's what he, the form he's most used to or something. But I don't know, it would have been, been a nice touch. That's probably the weakest part to me. It's just that they set up the episodes. Odo is in pretty much a rough place, and he flips really quickly once yeah. realizing who the founders are. I, um, like, I assume he just goes back to his normal job after this, right? But we didn't really have any resolution on that. They they haven't they didn't address that by the end of the episode. There's no scene where Cisco says, "I'm sorry, I doubted you" or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So that's, it's just kind of an abrupt change. Matthew just wraps it up by saying, uh, although it feels like I might be ragging on a two-parter for the whole, I felt it was exciting, interesting, and gave some serious weight to the Dominion threat and the general unpreparedness of the Alpha Quadrant. That's it. Let's see here. Um, that's pretty much it. Clay, you're going to give it a rating, one to five. Well, I think I'm going to give it a five. Sure. And this is for and, the two-parter as a whole. So. Yeah. And the reason I'm doing that is, again, we, you know, I think you were, it was good that you brought up uh, in the last episode or so the, the, the problem with, with rating these episodes as we go forward because of the way that they've changed. Um, but this feels like an essential, essential story that's done well. Like I, the first half of it I thought was great. Um, second half of it overall I thought was really good. But as far as is this one that you need to watch if if you're gonna if the if you're gonna be into or not into the show, I would say a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I think like I, I was actually thinking about it because I've been talking to uh Dan and uh Sean who haven't really didn't like yeah, yeah didn't like it it's to not this really point, yeah. it hasn't really clicked with them. And I was I was always almost thinking like you guys should start it, but start it from here. Like I would almost like you were saying, you could use the last few episodes as a like a second pilot. Yeah, uh, and I might actually suggest that to them to see if 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 they turn around on it. I would, I would probably see in this modern era of too much TV. I think that you could start this series maybe maybe watch Emissary and then mm-hmm. watch Jemhadar onward. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this one a four. I think it just I think the second half is weak and weaker enough. Even though it has really great stuff in it, I think that the Odo stuff drags. I do agree with you about that. And the 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 sort of resolution is a little bit too pat at the end for me. So that would be like a four. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to give it a four overall because I think it's very good. I would say um, I'd like to start adding a little bit of an addition here of saying like, because of the serialized nature, would you cons- you would uh, consider this to be a must watch? I would say the three categories outside of my rating would be like skip it, maybe watch if you have time, and then must watch. Mm-hmm. This whole trilogy is a must watch yeah, for me from agree. the Jem'Hadar onward to Search yeah. Two. Um, even though I think they do actually get better at this kind of stuff, and it's uh, but it is, it was the first DS Nine episodes that I really felt excited by what was going on in it, and being like, oh, interesting, this is actually kind of fun. And in the next episode, they follow it up when Quark brings a particularly odd-looking shiny object that might just have the ghost of his father in it onto the space station. <laughs> and Dax falls in love with a CGI creation called Osmodioid. We do. I don't want to get your hopes up too much. You could consider... It never stops being 90s Trek. Um, the third season actually... We'll get it. Well, we can probably get into it in the episodes. I, I feel that at this point, the writers kind of got to the end of the search and said, now what do we do? Yeah. Um, I can going see that. forward. So the, the third season is good. It's better than the previous two seasons, but it's not Dominion wall to wall the way that the series eventually later does in later seasons. But I just wanted to reassure you and anyone else who comes on the show or hasn't watched the show before. Uh, not every so- episode is like this. They do do the regular Star Trek episodes mixed in with this, especially in the third season. Well, I won't be watching those episodes. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> but seriously, I mean, it's you talked about it a little bit. I, I don't know if you wanted to give any final thoughts about I, I feel this is a distinctly different Star Trek show when it yep. does stuff like this than it mm-hmm. ever was in TNG. Just the 
the way they were talking to each other in the first part, no one on TNG would ever talk to each other like that. They don't have those conversations with each other. There's no Odo conflict like that on any of the characters, and it's refreshing. It's different to watch. It feels much more modern. Yeah, I've noticed the thing that's been standing out to me is the characters on this show actually have scenes together, whereas TNG, they do, but only like in the, a lot of them are just in the loosest service of, of whatever the plot is. Whereas in this one, it's like when you see a scene with Cisco and Quark, it feels like a scene between, between two real characters having a real interaction. Yeah. And I think that's the big difference. And I, I mean, I, I think that comes from up to this point, you've got, they've had two seasons to build these guys up and everybody knows what they're doing and, and, and they know how these characters are going to act in, in each, in what, and what uh, point of view they're going to have in, in whatever discussions they're having. I think TNG lacks that a bit um, because you never really get enough time to... It, it's not as much of a straight ensemble as this show is. Yeah. So yeah. you don't get enough time to really uh, to really know what they're all about to the point where you could throw, you know, Worf and Riker into a situation where they just have a conversation about, like, a, a trade dispute, and you're like, holy shit, this is amazing. Right, right. Yeah, it's... um. It's true. They, I mean, maybe maybe I'm being unfair, but that's I feel like that's that's the 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 difference to me feels like that these these characters are are well very well established, and so when they when they get the chance to interact, the interactions feel much more like they're doing a real scene together. Yeah, I mean, take the. It's funny about the development. Like, take the over the course of seven years on TNG. Um, I think that you, or over the course of two seasons on this, you learn more. I don't think there's a single character that you know less about than someone like Jordy on TNG. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, you don't know anything about Jordy LaForge on TNG. He's just, he's kind of a unsuccessful lover guy who's a good engineer. And you know nothing more than that about uh, Jordy, which is fine for TNG, but it's a remarkable difference here. You know a lot about these people at this mm-hmm. point. You know a lot about Dax. You know a lot about O'Brien. You know a lot about Cisco. You know Bashir. What the, what makes him tick and everything. And you just it, crossing it back to TNG. You don't get that kind of uh, sense. It's a different storytelling method. And almost the uh, the thing I sort of walk away from TNG at this point is TNG did a pretty remarkable job with the amount of restrictions that they had on storytelling. Yeah, in that show. definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is maybe a a positive way to look at it. It's just it's a very different thing. Anyway, and, uh, well, I was just going to say, and, and in Deep Space Nine too, I think I think if you look at the group scenes that they have, uh, like your conference room type scenes, Deep Space Nine ones play much different than than TNG, because yeah. TNG everybody's there, but the stuff that they're saying is not usually remarkable or that distinguishable. But in Deep Space Nine, when everybody's there, everybody is coming at it from their own point of view that feels true to their character. Like the yeah. stuff that the stuff that O'Brien says is never going to be the same kind of thing that Odo says or the same kind of thing that Kira says. Right. It's not just about their job. Their right. philosophy right. sort of tints what they're talking about. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's that's a good. That's interesting. That's a good way to think about it. It's a good uh, observation. Um, I think that's it, though. We've been talking for a long time about this one, but I'm excited. DS, uh, DS9 season three. It's where the show really starts, as people have been talking. Um it's very interesting. I'm glad that the, the search was better than I remembered it. I will give it a four out of five, but it, it's a really, really enjoyable thing. And Clay, I think you're right. If Dan or someone or Sean had 
had given up on the series at this point. I, w- I think I would recommend just watching these three episodes and see what they think about it. Yeah, I'll I'll pitch it to them and uh, and and see and see if I can get them to to go in on it. All right, guys, thank you very much. All the social media will be there. patreoncom slash pile if you want to support the show. That's a good way to do that. Uh, we have a Discord. I made a little Reddit thing. There's Reddit r slash Penske Podcast if people want to comment there. I'm spreading myself out too thin again, but whatever. It just gives me something to do during the day. $10 patrons. Vincent Adultman, Stephen Cobb, Spinobi, Russ Graham, Eric Johnson, Nathan Elliott, Ewan Tibbetts, Decker Sebastiani, Neil Brennan, Carrier Mobility, Doug Valcamp, Michael Pond, Bradley Killens, Rune Venler, Jay Stanley, Mike Burnett, Matthew Ross, Ben Douglas, Kyle Barrett, Joint Mango, Tarek Latif. Guys, thank you very much. We would not be doing Deep Space Nine without all the patrons. I would have stopped after TNG because I would have had enough. But you guys are honestly, truly the only reason that the show still continues on at this point. And I'm very thankful because I wouldn't have watched DS9 all the way through again. At the $20 level, though, you get access to the super secret, really racist Reddit thread that we started. (laughs) Also known as what the regular one will turn into after about six months. (laughs) That's what Reddit is built around. I want to build my own dominion where I can protect myself from the threats, and I'll do that by conquering every other subreddit out Mm -hmm. there. Guys, thank you very much. Clay, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Guys, we will be back with the House of Quark. See you then.